Now introducing the Minor Wisdom Trio! Minor Wisdom! Hey, 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 hey. Dr. Linda McKnight is on the podcast this week. Uh, I didn't know she was uh, doctored until we started chatting. Um, and she dropped that bizom on me. Uh, so, but Dr. Linda McKnight, uh, great guest, wonderful guest, somebody I didn't know uh, very well. But again, there it is. That's the name of the game, right? That's the name of this podcast, or that's the theme of this podcast: is get to know somebody you don't really know very well. And uh, I did record three. I've got three interviews in the can from this week. I want to get more. I have reached out to quite a few people. Hey. I'm not telling you to constantly check your Facebook Messenger people, but uh, those of you that listen to this intro, but check your Facebook Messenger every once in a while because sometimes I reach out to you. Uh, my podcast pimp team has given me names and names and names and names of people to reach out to uh, and try to get on the record, right? Uh, tried getting somebody for my 200th episode next week. That fell through, fell, <laughs> fell through for uh, personal reasons that um, didn't happen, but I will get that person on. Uh, so next week, I'm going to post the chat that I had with the, the Destiny Miller, uh, sort of her goodbye to the classroom. Uh, and we did it kind of old school. We did it at a bar, ordered some chicken wings, had some uh, adult beverages and stuff. Uh, but nothing too crazy like I've had in the past. So uh, it was a good time. But I'll post that next week as my 200th episode. This week with Dr. Linda McKnight, it's episode 199. And I've got a couple of things to talk about. Number one, uh, my show, The Drowsy Chaperone. It As this drops, I'll have one more show to perform uh, at 2.30. So if you are hearing this in the morning and you're so inclined to come see the show, come see it. 2.30. Uh, it sold really, really well this weekend, and that was kind of the point. You know, the Drowsy Chaperone isn't like a classic by any means quite yet or have a name out there outside of theater people. Like, theater people know the Drowsy Chaperone, but outside of theater folk, uh, hashtag trademark, right? Um, outside of theater folk, uh, it's not a very well-known musical. So it's very funny, very well-performed, great talent in this. The girl that's playing Janet Vandergraaff, she will be be something she will be out there uh on broadway um doing something she is just beyond phenomenal already at 20 years old a professional when it comes to like backstage behavior and making sure her rehearsals are how she performs i can't say that for everybody in the cast uh but she's amazing um and and there are other amazing people in the cast, but nobody, I don't think nobody yet that has the aspirations that she has and the ability that she has already. Some of them will learn. But uh, I want to thank Beth and Mel and Amy for coming out to see the show. Um, it meant a lot. Like it, I I don't understand. My brain is too small and feeble to understand why people would go support a friend. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe that's, that just talks about who I am. I, I, I do that. Like I go support my friends. Um, some, some of them, some of my friends, uh, not all of them, but like, I try to do it as much as possible, but like to like Mel and Beth drove hours to come see the show. Um, and uh, that doesn't go uh, unnoticed, right? And and it was just very, very awesome for them to come out. Uh, flowers, hanging out afterwards, just very, very thoughtful, good friends. And everybody needs uh, a Beth Obel and a Mel Edwards in their life. Um, and, and an Amy Medina. So, uh, But Amy and I, full disclosure, we just kind of just met because I just interviewed her this week. And she was like, oh, well, if Beth and Mel are coming, I'm going. So it was really cool. Uh, it meant a lot that the three of them were there. Um, you know, support your friends. So it just, it's heartwarming. It's like, it really feels good. I don't want to do theater. I don't want to do shows. I don't want to be on stage really anymore. Uh, but I, I'm not going to lie. Uh, it feels really good to do it when people are there supporting you. Um, so uh, I understand the, the sort of the high of it. 
being a technician all these years, it's like, I just, I come in, I do my job, I leave. I come in, I do my job, I leave. And that's fine. That's what I signed up for. It's what I love to do. But uh, there is a nice euphoric high that you get um, when your friends are there and when people are there that, that are there to see you and are cheering for you and you bow for them. Um, it's really great. There's so many little things that have happened in the show that, uh, I love my, um, my sidekick, my acting partner, uh, Sarah Fi or, uh, Sarah Ryan is her married name, but Sarah is an amazing friend as well. And, uh, if you ever get to meet her, um, you'll understand, but, uh, it's just been a fun process. I'm going to stop talking about something that nobody really cares about. Um, the other thing is, is that School is out now, right? Last week, it was out for most. This week, it's out for everybody, uh, at least in Texas. Um, so congratulations to the start of the summer for people. I've seen some people moving to new places. Some people have already moved into their new place. And just, you know, because of that anxiety and the anticipation, and it's a high energy, it's really fun to do that. Uh, you know, I'll be pushing the the covenant thing. Call me. Call me. Five 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 five. Just kidding. Don't call that number. Um, if you know the six nine four five five seven zero, right? That's you know local Houston people. Um, anyway, but uh, I I I gotta stop talking. I want you guys to enjoy Dr. Linda McKnight. It was a pleasure to get to know her. Um, she is late to the game. She'll talk about that. She's late to the game, but she is in the game, and she's already making a hell of a difference. You might see her. I think, I, th I believe she's at Summerfest. I will not be at Summerfest this year, but, um, uh, Linda is, I believe going to be there. So say hi to Linda, um, get to know her. She's got a heck of a, uh, a, a unique style of coming about it. You'll, you'll hear in the, in the interview, uh, musically speaking, but, um, uh, she was really great and I hope you enjoy leave a rating, support the podcast, do all that stuff. Thanks for coming out last week, Bobby. I'm sorry I didn't give you a huggy. My path to this was maybe not what a lot of people, not the path a lot of people went on. Um, I was a professional opera singer. My training, all of my college degrees, all four of them are in opera, performance and directing, basically. Uh, when I went to college, I went to Baylor. And in high school, all I did was musicals. That was my passion. And I wanted to be Barbara Streisand when I grew up and be in Hello, Dolly. And so I went to Baylor and they didn't have musical theater. I had to choose. I either go theater, which at Baylor at the time was terribly underfunded, or I go music, which actually was pretty well funded at Baylor and offered me a small scholarship. So I was like, okay, music. And from there, I just kind of fell into opera, which is not that different than musical theater, really, at its core, but the certainly perception is that it's a lot different. And that was, that was what I did. And um, got a master's in an artist diploma from Cincinnati. That's back there somewhere. Um, went eventually to New York, sang with the Metropolitan Opera for two seasons. Um, kind of decided I just didn't want to live out of a suitcase because opera gigs, like some, some theater gigs, you know, you go, you're there three weeks, you go home, you change your clothes out of the suitcase, you go to the next gig. And it's not a very stable life. And um, I didn't want to be, you know, 40 years old and still having to audition for my livelihood. And so I took a teaching job, went back to Baylor and taught voice and directed opera. That was really my first directing and taught there for a while, taught at what is now HCU, Houston Christian University for 10 years. Then I went to U of H and worked on my doctorate and taught there then all music and opera directing. And, um, and I love the directing. It was really my favorite part of it. And even the music, when I taught music, it was always the story that was important to me. The music had to me had to serve the storytelling. And um, so fast forward, my kids are in high school and they went to Dawson High School back when 
Tim Unruh was there and then John Grimmett came. Um, Aaron Brown was there for a couple of years that David was there. And my little kid decides he's a band kid, right? But he's going to audition for the musical. And he gets in the chorus of Les Mis. And I thought, oh my God, high school Les Mis. And I'm going to have to watch six performances of it. But it was amazing. It was as good as anything U of H did. And I thought, wow, I didn't know that high school theater could be like this. It wasn't like this when I was in high school. Um, and I, I just, and then, you know, they were both, both my kids were in theater and choir and band. And so I saw all these shows and I thought, this is really amazing. I, I wish I could be part of something like this. And then... Uh, the second director left at uh, Dawson and I thought, I want that job. And then I thought, wait, I can't do that job. That's not what I'm qualified for. But it really kind of lit a spark. And I thought, you know, maybe I can do this job. I'm a good director. I'm good at, at teaching people about how to find character and, you know, maybe I can do this job. And so I kind of, went on this journey of exploration and I subbed for an entire year, uh, every school in Pearland from kindergarten. It took me about three hours to decide, no, I couldn't do that. Um, I thought I wanted to do high school. And when I subbed at the high schools, I just thought, no, I don't, I don't junior high is, was my happy place. And so I was subbing at the junior high where my kids went and it was really where I wanted to work. I wanted to work there so bad that I certified in music, education, ELAR, and social studies. So that surely some position would come up at Barry Miller. And I just happened to be subbing there one day and uh, knew one of the teachers there. And she came in and she said, hey, have you got a job for next year? I said, no, not yet. She said, our theater teacher just quit. Give me your resume. And... I had a job and that's how I got to junior high. So that's, that's kind of my backstory. Uh -huh. um, yeah. That's non-traditional. <laughs> very non-traditional, very non-traditional. Not, although I know there are a lot of people that come to this, yeah. you know, I see all the time, you know, well, I was a, uh, an executive in a, in an oil firm. And then I decided to teach theater. You know, I know that it happens, but it's yeah. certainly not the traditional go to college for theater path. Right. Well, you did performance, so, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not the uh, most, it's not a stretch, uh, I guess, um, mm -hmm. if you will, but can you still sing? Eh, yeah. kind of, <laughs> yes, you know. Um, is that, you, like is that you saying you, eh, or is that other people, like, is that your own kind of, like, you That's being my hard own on, assessment. yeah, yeah, yeah. because, yeah. you know, well, I mean, for one thing, it's just a fact that as you age, yeah. The voice, you know, I, I could tell you all about the vocal pedagogy yeah. reasons about the ossification of cartilage and stuff. But <laughs> I mean, your voice wears out when you get old. And yeah. I don't sing because I don't have time because I'm a theater teacher. Right. So um, I don't do a lot of singing other than just like around the house. Right. Um, is is there a difference? And I know the I know the answer, the basic answer to this. But what is like what are some of the major differences between an, an opera trained voice and a musical musically trained voice? I know this is not normally what this podcast is about, but like I told you when we first started, I don't really, sometimes I go off different paths, but I, I'm in a show right now as we record this with, uh, mm -hmm. and, and somebody I'm working opposite against, uh, and actually our musical director too, are, are both Texas tech opera trained. They both went to tech and, and, and did the opera path. And but they've only since, as performance, since they've been back in the Houston area, have done uh, musicals. So mm -hmm. it's a little different. But uh, what is kind of what are kind of the the biggest things you have to think about when you're a classically trained opera singer compared to you know? Well, truthfully, yeah. Truthfully, everybody ought to be if they want to sing anything, they need some classical training. Yeah. So they know how to, to how the instrument operates and how to use it healthily because you only get one. And if you mess it up, 
you're just out of luck. Yeah. You know, if you break your million dollar Stradivarius violin, you can go buy a new one, yeah. but you can't. And so um, when I taught, I've taught music theater kids when I was teaching voice as well as opera singers. And the, the instrument's the same. And learning how the breath works and how the instrument responds to different things, that's the same for both. Right. It's really imposing a style. And if you have that basic foundation of vocal technique, you can put any style. I mean, I sang music theater as much as opera and jazz. And, you know, I put myself through grad school singing in a dinner theater where I sing everything from Fiddler on the Roof to Country Western to <laughs> whatever somebody requested. So, you know, when you're talking about the style that's different, um, we don't typically belt right. in, in classical singing. Classical singing, one of the big goals is that from the bottom of your range to the top, it sounds seamless. It just sounds like one voice. Right. And so that means that in the range that a music theater singer would be belting and pushing that belt range higher, we're kind of backing off in that range so that we can smooth that transition more. Right. Um, that's one of the big things. Plus, opera singers are never mic'd. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. You know, and so you have to learn how to create acoustically within your own instrument enough sound to be heard over, you know, a 70 piece orchestra and a chorus of 30. Yeah. Uh, so that makes it a little bit different because fortunately music theater people are mic'd. Right. Um, but one reason is because they typically don't sing as high and high carries better than low. Right. So when, when did you know you uh, could sing? Like, what was your, you know, did your mom say, oh, my gosh? <laughs> or No, no <laughs> yeah. not my mom. Um, no, truthfully, I was in high school. as a freshman in high school. Yeah. And um, we were singing. And, and I was always a good musician. I played piano for a year. I took 13 years of piano lessons. Okay. And piano really helps you with, with pitch and all kinds of skills. But we were sight reading something in choir. My freshman year, I was in the freshman choir. And everybody else kind of got lost and started dropping out. And I just kept singing. And my choir director, like, stopped in front of me and started listening. And um, and then he walked off. And then he came back and stood in front of me while we were singing and listening to me. And that night was the first choir parents meeting. <laughs> and my parents had never been very involved in in things like that. My mom was a teacher. She couldn't be the room mom because right. she was at work. And they got home from the choir parents meeting and woke me up and said, we're the new vice presidents of the choir parents association and you're starting voice lessons next Tuesday. <laughs> and I was like, and to this day, I don't know what CJ said to them, but he said something that made them think, wow, yeah, we need to develop this. So that's kind of fun. Um, yeah. Uh, what, so you mentioned that you did a full year of subbing. I have my opinions on substitute teachers that I will not share here. Uh, and, uh, but I do want to know, like, if you are doing a year of substitute teaching straight, huh. like, is there a secret to being an effective sub and not just being in the corner of the room on your phone and making sure the kids are, uh, behaving like, you know, is there is there an effective way to educate a student, even though that's not your room and not necessarily your content? Yes. And it's <laughs> all dependent on what the teacher gives you. Okay. And, you know, I am, I, I have subs that are like, they love subbing for me because I leave so much stuff for them. Right. So many instructions. And I've had subs teach uh, blood making we, okay. we were planning a blood making unit and I ended up having to go uh, to leave. And I was like, I'm sorry, but they're making fake blood today. And she was like, cool. Um, but if, if all you leave is a worksheet yeah. and a roster, that's what you're going to get out of the sub. Right. Um, so I think, and, and I think also it's easier if it's not a, you know, a one day sub. I mean, I, I, I try to keep my kids doing something helpful but sometimes i do revert to well they really ought to need ought to know a little bit about shakespeare before they get out of theater one so we'll do a shakespeare packet sure but if i'm going to be gone like at theater fest if i'm gone for four days 
then I, I, you know, I'm going to first try and find a sub that I know and trust. And then I'm going to give them some real specific things Mm -hmm. to work with. Um, But I also think probably the biggest problem with subs is that we basically pay the minimum wage. Right. And so nobody wants to do it because they can make more bartending. Right. And the only people we in the, at least in my district, um, we, and it's not the best paid district in the school, in the world, but it's not terrible. But the only people we get are old people, like old retired people or people that are currently in school. Right. Um, and they're better, you know, usually I've had several like, well, I'm, I'm going to U of H at night to get my degree and they're great because right. they, you know, they are more savvy, but you know, if a sub sits, you know, I, and I have my kids tell me this all the time. The sub sat in the chair on her phone the whole time, yeah. but it's hard to motivate them not to do that when you're paying a minimum wage. Right. Yeah. And you know, kids are awful to subs. Yeah. So my, that's one thing I drill home. We, you know, when we have a sub in this room, that is a guest in our house and you will treat her right. And if she writes your name down, you have detention. I don't want to hear. No, I didn't do anything. Don't tell me that. Yeah. You just make sure your name doesn't get written down. Yeah. In a, in a negative light. Yeah. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, I get, Oh, you know, Alex was super helpful today. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, subs are, you know, I've always, I guess it's kind of on me for being a little immature, but uh, back when I was teaching in Fort Bend, I would leave things for them, and then they wouldn't get done, and so I'd just stop leaving things for them, and, you know, that's when uh, problems Mm -hmm. (laughs) arose for sure, so it's a little on me, shame on me. Um, It's tough, and, you know, you get some subs that will do exactly what you tell them. Right. And they get everything turned in. And I've even had subs because technology is not my greatest strength. And I'll like put all this stuff in Canvas and then forget to publish it. Right. And they're like, well, we couldn't get into that. So I just read them the questions off my screen. And, you know, I've, you've got subs that will really work hard to try and make it good. Right. What are your four degrees in? Um, you mentioned vocal, a couple, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, bachelor's is vocal performance, bachelor of music. Uh, master's of music and vocal performance, artist diploma, totally wasted piece of paper, but two more years of training uh, in opera performance. And then my doctorate is in vocal performance and opera directing. Okay. So, so, oh, so I did not realize I was talking to a doctor. (laughs) Yep, I am. I am. And my first year teaching, I was like, okay, nobody... Because when I taught at U of H, of course, everybody calls you Dr. McKnight. Right. And I was like, well, I'm not going to do that here. And my principal was just adamant. She said, you worked hard for that degree, and they're going to call you Dr. McKnight. So I'm Dr. McKnight at school, <laughs> um, which has morphed into, for our Bobcat broadcasting, our AV Tech broadcast that they do every couple of weeks, I'm Dr. McManners, and I do a little unit on behavior and how huh. to behave at school. That's Dr. McManners. That's so. funny. Yeah. What did you did you deem yourself that, or did the kids come up with no, that? No, actually, they said the AV Tech teacher said Doctor Manners, and I was like, "How about Doctor Mech Manners?" Yeah, and we came up with that together. But okay. we talk about <laughs> you know how to behave in the cafeteria, and yeah, not running in the hall and things like that. How do you how do you portray that? Do you have kids like act out the bad and, and yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, we usually I usually use my production class That's uh, kids and I'll say, Hey, who wants to be in Bobcat Broadcasting? Yeah. Uh, stay after school for an hour. And I'll write a little script and it's usually very kind of I kind of it's kind of uh mismanners for junior high kids and I have a boa and a tiara and um and then they act things out and it's yeah. it's fun. They love seeing themselves on the screen, of course. Yeah, one of my favorite lessons that came out of the the COVID era of, or shall I say, error of uh, teaching, um, was when I had my students do like a short. I call it a TikTok version, but it, you know, a short version of the manners of the theater. And so they, you know, did the the wrong way, and then they did a correction. And some of them were. Uh, very creative. Um, some of them not, and we're very lazy, but, uh, but the creative ones, it's, 
you know, those types of things are really fun. I think those kids embrace that kind of stuff. They they mm-hmm. want to be seen as um, celebrities and stars. So, mm-hmm. uh, so uh, then because of your non-traditional path, um, I, I'm assuming you do middle school one act play or. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. So how how has that world been for you as someone that didn't necessarily uh, experience that path as 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 a student and then uh, as a sort of as a director coming up? How has mm-hmm. that world been just kind of a um, like, wait, we do theater in this amount of time and we have all these rules and all this kind of stuff. What what has that been kind of like for you? Well, the first year was pretty awful. Um, in fact, at Summerfest, I'm going to do a session on, you know, I wanted to call it OAP, what not to do. And they said that was negative and I had to change the title, but I'm doing a thing on, you know, when you first start out and you don't know anything, here's some hints, here's some ways to, to get through it. Cause that first year was awful. And I did do one act play one time in high school. I did the teacher, Irena Sinkova in, I never saw another butterfly. And, um, so I had, I had done it once, but that's, that's a long time ago. (laughs) And, um, you know, at at first I was like, wait, what? The main thing that got me because the directing wasn't all that hard. And I had picked a already cut version of a show. So I didn't have to cut anything. It was the, um, the tech elements that I just, cause I just couldn't put a show on a stage on a bare stage. Now, if the show warranted it, I could, but I was like, no, we have to have a real set. We have to evoke this. And I picked the stupidest show in the world, which was Cyrano de Bergerac. And because it was my dad's favorite show Yeah, and he could quote all the lines. So I picked that. What a mistake. With <laughs> junior high kids. No, they did not get it. All of the romantic stuff was like, awkward um and i had you know i had a a big velvet curtain and it when we got it up there at the performance it was totally wonky and and at an angle and the front piece that i magneted the magnets weren't in the right place it fell down in the middle of the show it was a disaster (laughs) um but i learned yeah i learned and um unfortunately my second year of teaching was COVID. And I had a great show that year. We were going to do the Diviners, had the perfect cast for it, never got to do it. So it's been a learning curve. Right. Um, I, I, what I figured out is it's not always, it's not, it's not a theater competition. It's a, can you follow the rules competition? Right. Um, and, but once you embrace that, you know, it's, it's still theater and, and the, the goal is still storytelling. And so that's just what I make my goal. And um, we, we have a, just our district right now competition. So it's just four junior highs. Right. And, um, you know, I've won, I won last year. I didn't win this year, you know, but it's about the experience for the kids and 40 minutes, at least you can rehearse effectively in a class period. So right. that, you know, there are some, some small advantages to that. Do you, um, do you find yourself, uh, I'm currently, again, like I said, I'm currently in a show and the show is directed by, she, she actually has a music degree, but she's more of a choreographer. She's a dance instructor. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a clear, um, theme as to how she directs as, mm-hmm. as it's more movement based. It's not like you stand here. It's not methodical. It's, mm-hmm. it's very fluid. Do you find that your music background gives you a little bit of a more unique style when you come to the directing table and um, uh, uh, the the way you kind of approach the the flow of the show, if you will? Maybe um, I hadn't really thought about that. <laughs> uh, I, mean, I, I, I tend to be very character driven. Okay. Um, yeah, you mentioned story earlier, so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and that you know, really becoming the character—that's that's kind of my focus. Telling the story, you know, everything has to. In fact, our our motto is tell the story, change the world, and so it's all about telling the story. Gotcha. And if it doesn't serve that, then 
don't do it. So I, I do tend to be very, you know, it's all about the character, about becoming this character. Um, I do, I, I think my background helps me in like pacing of, of lines and understanding tempo movement sure. and that kind of stuff. I'm also really, really good at background music. And okay. so um, I <laughs> feel like in all of my shows, I've done really good. I've had really good um, interstitial music and underscoring and stuff that really, because opera is all about the music enhancing the story. Right. And so I just do that without people saying it. Yeah. Um, so that I, I do think that, that it has helped me in that way. Um, it, it's opera is also tends to be a little more grand, you know, you're usually in a 4,000 seat hall. And uh, so I think I've had to learn to make things a little more realistic yeah. on stage. Cause um, for instance, an opera singer would never turn their back to the audience right. ever because you can't hear them. Right. And so at first having kids, turn their back to face each other was like, no, no, you can't do that. And I've had to learn that, you know, within reason, that's okay. We yeah. do want to cheat out, but connection is more important. Um, so, it, you know, it's given me some advantages, but also some, some liabilities, I think, that well, I've had to overcome. One of my favorite things I remember from a band director I worked with for a very long time is he, he taught me the opera bow. And that was, and that was, you do this hand here, this uh -huh. hand here, and then you bring them to your chest and you bow, right? And he said, the way you remember that is you say, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about me. It's kind of true. Yeah. yeah. So that's, a lot of opera singers. that's something that, that, that's always stuck with me. Um, all right. So uh, you mentioned a little bit about tech and, and, and uh, work with me on this one as I kind of work my way through whatever the question might be. <laughs> but you you are talking about story and you're talking about, uh, you just mentioned a couple minutes ago about how now you're kind of okay with a stripped down uh, stage, if you will, uh, if you don't need all the tech and all that kind of stuff. One thing that that we were taught at UH from Kevin Rigdon and Jonathan Middens and things like that was, I love yeah, I know he's, he's amazing, but, and he also doesn't age. Uh, I think he was 70 when I was there anyway, but, um, and that was almost 30 years ago, but, uh, uh, the, you know, you look at the stage and then you start and destiny Miller believes in this and all this kind of stuff, but you start stripping away what is absolutely not needed, like only have on stage the things you have to have on stage. Right. And then mm -hmm. that's what you take with you to one act play contest or, or even like if you go to thespians and you do their play marathons or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, so for you, uh, you mentioning now you're okay with having a, a stripped down stage. If you need, if you, if, if it calls if for that, yeah, if it's yeah. appropriate. Um, mm -hmm. do you ever find yourself, um, I guess the first question, <laughs> the first question is, how are you with tech? And then the second question is, right. Okay. Good fit. Yeah. Uh, the, the second question is, has your experience with tech or lack of experience with tech been the motivating factor for you to decide what direction you go with a show? Uh, sometimes let me start with the first one. So, well, you made you know, a face, you can't see it, but you did make a face. So, okay. And then uh, <laughs> that was your answer visually. When I, when I started, I didn't know anything. I mean, in grad school, I had to, all of the people who had a leading role in a show at Cincinnati had to take two semesters of stagecraft, which was working in the, the set shop, the scene shop, uh, two semesters of costuming and two semesters of makeup. So I had some training but I don't remember very much of it. Um, but, you know, as a director in college, I would walk into a, you know, a meeting and I would say, okay, Tom, uh, Tom Guthrie at U of H over in the opera house. And I'd say, okay, this is kind of what I'm thinking about the set. And he'd say, well, how about if we do this? And then he'd build me a set. And I would say, and he'd also do the lights. And we'd go through and I'd say, yeah, here I kind of want, 
uh, I want this feel. And he'd just do his magic. And I would call Southwest Costumes and say, we're doing elixir. We're setting it in the 30s. Here are the measurements. And they'd just send me costumes. That was true when I worked at Opera in the Heights. It was true at U of H, at HCU. I mean, I didn't have to do all that stuff. And I certainly never did lights or sound. And that first year, I was just, especially the lights. Lights are the bane of my existence. And I only have five lights in my current space. So we don't do our fall, our fall show we go do at Dawson High School. OAP is at Dawson. I only have to do my winter show in that space. Um, but I just, I can remember John Grimmett, God love him, came over and showed me how to program lights. And I stayed at school till nine o'clock that night, programming all the lights for the fall show. And then I came in the next day and they were gone. All those cues gone. So I called him in a panic and he came back over and showed me again and sat with me while I did them all. I mean, it was just, um, I'm good at costuming because I like to play dress up. Um, I've gotten to where I, I've taught myself how to do sound, although we don't really mic anything. So it's really just the, what we talked about before about the interstitial music and the underscoring and sound effects and stuff. Um, the props, not a problem. Yay, Amazon. Um, the, the set design, it, you know, I feel like, it's not my strength, but I can get through it. But the lights just eat my lunch every time. And I'm not good at teaching them, and yeah. I'm not good at doing them. Yeah. Back to the tech tip. I haven't done this the past few weeks, but I did want to say something this week. I mean, it kind of just, I do the tech tips when I think of a tech tip. Always have a can of compressed air. And if you do have a can of compressed air, know how to use said can of compressed air and the right way to do it because there are lots of wrong ways to do it. It is not a toy, but a can of compressed air is one of the best things to use to clean out dimmers, to blow out microphones and clean those out and the guards and everything and just technology in general. But again, make sure you know how to use it because if you don't, it might get cold and explode in your hand. <laughs> well, that's, that's, uh, a very honest answer for you. Uh, well, and I'm really lucky that at Dawson, yeah. they have a really good tech program. And so they've had a upper level, you know, junior, senior level student for the past several years that has been willing to come over and help me program things. We bought a, a Skybox, to, not this year, but last year. And Peyton right. came over and taught us how to use it and stuff. So, I've, you know, luckily I have help when I need it. Right. Yeah, and it's it's it uh, for me as an educator. I've always enjoyed seeing a student teach other students and how they mm -hmm. then realize, oh, I'm actually able. This is teaching me as well. Like you yeah. learn from from doing and teaching, especially when it's a high school kid teaching yeah. junior high school kids because they revere them. Yeah, they used to call Peyton Peyton the Lighting God <laughs> every time he would come over. So yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, they they do idolize <laughs> something about you know. And then when you turn 40 and the person is only, you know, 43 or 44, you're like, oh, yeah. you're not that much older than me. No. Uh, yeah. But in, in middle school and high school, it's much different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I hear that. So then <clears throat> I got to ask you, what is it about middle school? You, you alluded to it, uh, <clears throat> you know, in your, in, your, in your introduction that you kindergarten took you three hours. High school just wasn't something you were feeling. But middle school was your spot. What, yeah. what is it about that, uh, spot? What is it about middle school? Cause there's such a, I'm about to have a sixth grader living in my house. Uh, well she currently lives in my house, but she's about to be a sixth right. grader, gotcha. <laughs> not yeah. a new kid. Um, but, uh, uh, it, and there's such a big difference between 11 and 13 or 11 mm -hmm. and 14, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, so, so that, that range is incredible. What is, what is it about middle school for you? Well, first of all, our district I think this is a really intelligent thing that we have middle school and junior high. So we have five, six in middle school, seven, eight in junior high. Now your daughter's in Conroe. I She's see. in Klein. I mean, in we, Klein, yeah, okay. we, we live a, a rock's throw away from Conroe ISD, but yeah, we're okay. technically inclined, but yeah. Yeah. 
Um, Cause I know most of the schools in Conroe, my son just got a job at a fifth, sixth grade campus yeah. at Collins. Yeah. Um, but that's how we do it in Pearland too. And I think it's smart because, you know, sixth graders do not belong with eighth graders. You're right. right. That's a huge difference. So we only have seventh and eighth. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you, one of the reasons I like it is because my seventh and eighth grade years were awful. I was such a nerd and I was, I was smart and made sure everybody knew I was smart and that did not win me any friends. Um, and my only happy place was in choir. And that was where I felt at home. And that was where I found my people. And that was where I excelled and got accolades. And, you know, I want to kind of make that for the junior high school kids that I teach because it's hard. It's just hard. Your yeah. hormones are making you insane and you don't even know why. And there's so much, you know, you're my best friend. Now I hate you. And just, and plus junior high school kids today have pressures that I never imagined. Right. It would never have occurred to me to vape. Well, yeah. to smoke in junior yeah. high, you know, that, and they just, they face so many external pressures and I want to, I want them to find their, their place. You know, I have a sign on my door. This is our happy place. Yeah. And I want, I want it to I want to offer that to them. And some of them don't need it. They have another happy place right. down in the athletic wing or in the band or whatever. But I want to be there for the kids that need it right. for that. Um, I also, just to be honest, I, I, the high school kids are so jaded and they just, they don't respect right. teachers. Now I have junior high kids that, absolutely cannot behave themselves. But at the end of the day, I'm the authority in the room and very few of them push that envelope right. too much. They, you know, they, they'll rebel against it, but at the end of the day, they know I'm the authority in the room. Right. And I just, I find that easier to deal with. I just, the disrespect that I saw on the high school level, just, and, and it's not all, it's not the theater kids, right? but you know, even if you teach theater, you got to teach the, the ones that get stuck in your class that aren't theater kids. Right. And I just, I didn't want to deal with that. Sure. Um, I like the junior high kids. I like that. They're, you know, they think I'm awesome and you know, I, I love being adored and, um, <laughs> Opera. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, it's all about me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I love that um, I can have a relationship. They're old enough that I can be snarky with them and be salty and and play around and have fun with them. They're not they're not so dependent. They're not as needy as the younger kids. Right. But they're still not jaded for the most part, and they're not. Um, they haven't lost the wonder. And you know, it's it's hard to create theater if you lose the wonder. Right. And they're still at the place where. You know, they want to be all sophisticated and fancy at the ball, but, you know, at the eighth grade dance. But then, you know, on Monday, they're going to be all excited about seeing, you know, oh, my gosh, Legally Blonde. Yeah. Uh, so that's those are some of the reasons that I like it. So no, knowing full well you're only in your late 20s, uh, can, you, <laughs> can you imagine uh, if if you were to start teaching kind of the, the I'll quote, normal path, right, right out of college mm -hmm. or a couple mm -hmm. years out of college, would you have had a different mindset coming out of college as kind of like the, the inexperienced, fresh, like, oh, I can, I can change these kids? Would you, do you think you would have tried the high school side or even, I know elementary I know. is a whole different beast. Well, I, will, I will tell you that when I was in college, mm -hmm. uh, I said, I will never teach. <laughs> I will never teach. I, I Same. I was the same way. You know, I was like, yeah. I, w I didn't even want to teach college level. Yeah. I was like, I'd rather dig ditches. Yeah. And I certainly was never going to be a public school teacher. Right. And um, so now I wish I'd gotten into this when I was younger, right. when I had more time to perfect it, more energy to do it. But I wouldn't have the skills that I have. Right. Uh, you know, I, especially in my doctorate, but really in all of my training and in my teach, you know, the other teaching that I've done, I wouldn't have come to this with the same skill set. Right. 
And um, there are things that I learned in my doctorate after you know, doing this for a long time that I use every day in the classroom. Right. So, so I'm going to switch, switch gears and, and uh, wrap up soon. But you mentioned that you were at Cincinnati, the, I'm assuming conservatory. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so being that I spent uh, two summers in Covington, Kentucky, uh, I know a little bit about that area. Uh-huh. Um, what I know mostly about is the uh, s- sort of the same type of thing with like Philadelphia, how they have two cheesesteak places and you got it. You're either one side of the tracks or the other. And uh, in Chicago, they have different deep dish uh, places and you're all you know, in Cincinnati, it's chilly, right? So, uh, where do you stand on skyline all okay, the way? Okay. All right. <laughs> Just making sure <laughs> in fact, my children, my, my younger son's favorite meal that I make is skyline chili. So do you, do you, do you, or, I mean, do you find it at stores? You have to like ship Kroger. it. In. You oh, can Kro- buy the little packet of seasoning at Kroger. Okay. With all the, you know, the spices in the packets, like to make chili and meatloaf and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they have that. Okay, Sky good line. to know. I, I'm, I'm good friends with a guy named Kelly Harkins. I don't know if you know Kelly. He's a, he's a middle school so. teacher up in the Spring Branch area and has been doing middle school for almost 20 years, actually, um, and teaching theater. But he and I spent, when I was in Cincinnati, he was with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so every once in a while, we go, we find the cans which mm-hmm. is just not, it's not the same, but, uh, you know, but well, it's so bad for you, but it's, uh, we just, there's something about it that once you taste it, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so good. And the first, the first, when I went up to audition for the conservatory, a friend of mine from Baylor, we both went and ate and, and I was, I was hungry and we said, Oh, look, there's an all night chili place. How cool is that? So we go in and we order the, and they say it's on spaghetti. Well, that's a little weird, but okay. And we both <laughs> took a bite of that and went, this is not chili. Yeah. Yeah. This is not, but it grows on you, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. You can't, um, if you think it's, yeah, if you think it's traditional chili, it's, uh, you have to get your, yeah, you have to get your mind away from yeah. that. It's something different for us. Uh, for them though, if, you know, if, a, if an Ohioan comes to Texas and they're, you know, eating beans and they're chili and, you know, that kind of stuff. It's like, wait, this isn't chili either. So, uh, so it's, you know, a give and take. Um, well, I'm going to get you out of here on, on, uh, so I always try to ask a sort of, uh, uh, a word of advice question at the end of, of the interview. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, think real hard when I ask you this. Um, so what type of, uh, teacher do you think you are now based on your training and all this kind of stuff and uh uh your your background and the the doctorate and everything that you've kind of obtained over the past few years uh what type of teacher do you think that has made you as compared to um what type of teacher uh and you kind of alluded to this a little bit ago uh what type of teacher you would have been if you had gone more of the traditional path and then on that, on top of that, explain why it's okay. Why is it okay that you started later? Um, and, and because there are, are quite a few people in your situation that, mm-hmm. and, and you even said this way early, and the, there are people that come out of oil and gas and, and come out of uh, the, the, the industrial world necessarily uh, that start teaching but are, are a little hesitant, apprehensive. Why is it okay that they kind of take that? leap um so okay how much of a different teacher are you because of your training and then why is it okay to be that and take that leap um the first is the harder one um i think and this is but this answers both really i think all of the experiences that you have make you who you are as a teacher and you know uh somebody who's had a different path entirely, if they're in oil and gas, then they bring different skills to the table. They bring different ways of working with kids. Um, I think my training and my background in higher ed, I tend to treat my kids, especially not, not my theater one class necessarily, but my theater production class, I kind of treat them 
as colleagues as opposed to kids. I expect a lot of them because I don't treat them like kids and I don't give them a lot of busy work. Anything I give them, it's something they need to do to prepare for this show we're working on. And I talk to them like adults um, because that's how I've worked with actors my whole life. So I tend not to, to make, to babyfy it. Is that a word? I tend to, I tend to, to just treat them like adults and expect from them what I would expect from an adult colleague that I'm directing. Um, whether that's right or wrong, I'm, there are probably times that I should break it down a little bit more. But, uh, and I have learned in the five years I've been teaching here that, you know, I can't just say, hey, we have rehearsal every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and expect them to show up. I have to be a little bit more proactive with getting their schedule, you know, getting things in their schedules and stuff. But I, but I really do try and treat them like, you know, adult professional act, like I would treat adult professional actors. And I think that helped, the result for me is that they act like adult professional actors. They're committed by and large. They work hard. They want the best for the show. They appreciate that I demand excellence. Most of them, there are always going to be some outliers, but and, and I do demand it. I mean, I want my show to be, I don't ever want it to be just a junior high show. I want it to be as good as anything we could see at the high school level, at the college level. You know, I don't, I don't believe in the concept of it's enough, which makes my, my work harder sometimes, but it, it's never, well, that's enough. It's just junior high. I don't treat them like that. So they don't respond like that. And that's, awesome. Um, and I think that's true for wherever you're coming from. You know, we just hired, we have four, four junior high theater teachers. We hired two new ones this year. One was a math teacher in Florida. One had been a 25 year educator in English. And the math teacher did at least have college theater training. The English teacher is married to the tech director at College of the Mainland. So she's been around theater her whole life, but she's never taught it. She did great this year because she brought all of that skill from being an ELAR teacher and being a educational coach and a curriculum writer. And she's brought terrific ideas to her classroom and by extension to all of us as we work together and collaborate and stuff. So... I think, I think if, if we get that ivory tower tunnel vision that, you know, you have to follow this path and only study these things. Theater isn't about theater. Theater is about the world. And the more world you have experience with, the better you're going to be at theater. Minor wisdom.